even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. And even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back. I know you are near. And I will fear no You call me out upon the wall. 
Gracious Lord, we continue to praise you and worship you. For those words that we just sang are not sufficient to tell you how great and marvelous and wonderful you are. Your word tells us, O oh Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. We look around us, Lord, and we know that we serve a mighty God. We know that you are beyond human comprehension. The fact that we even understand anything about you is because you have taken the initiative to reveal yourself to us. And it is by your grace and your mercy that we could even begin to understand who you are and what you are like. For you simply spoke the word and said, let there be light. And there was light from nothing to something. It is beyond our comprehension. So we magnify you and glorify you today, Lord. We thank you that in your mercy and in your goodness, you saw fit to change us from being rebellious, from being sinners, and providing for us a way that we could be in relationship with you, the God of the universe. And so we thank you today, Lord. We thank you that you have called us to the work that you are doing. And you have called us to give into that work. And so we generously and we cheerfully and anxiously and excitedly give into your work. Because Jesus said, my father is always at his work. And because you have called us to share in that, we share in it with our resources and with our lives. And we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to do so. So bless our tithes and offerings and gifts today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. May be seated.
the previous slide that was up there, I hope that you'll uh, uh, ignore that until it's been changed. The uh, prayer time will be on Sunday mornings at 10.15 and not Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock, okay, uh, after I made that announcement. I also have one other announcement I'd like to share with you. Uh, on Next Sunday afternoon is the uh, open house of the daycare, and uh, the daycare will be closed on Thursday and Friday this week as the teachers, et cetera, uh, prepare to uh, get their classrooms ready for the new, uh, for the new year. And uh, if you've got any time during Thursday and Friday that you would uh, like to, to give to the daycare to be able to help them get, get ready in some way, there's some painting to do and other things like that. Uh, if you have any time and you'd like to do that, uh, they would certainly uh, welcome any help that you could give them. All right, let's just have a word of prayer, and then we will look into the word. Father, as we come to look into your word, we, we realize that unless the spirit of the living God is residing in us and revealing the word to us, we cannot understand it. We can have a general knowledge of what it says, but to, to have the understanding comes from your spirit. Your word is never learned. It is always revealed. And so we ask you to reveal your word to us today. We thank you, Father, for bringing us together today in this place. This is not where we reside. This is where we are refreshed in the presence of the Lord so that we can go out from this place and be a light in a very dark world. Thank you for the opportunity to be involved in your work. In Jesus' name, amen. The prophet Isaiah proclaimed, am I not? Hold on a second. It's on. There we go. Thank you. The prophet Isaiah proclaimed, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We have to come to an understanding as human beings that there are some things that we're not going to understand, we're not going to be able to explain, but that doesn't mean that they're out of control. What God is telling us is that the way that He thinks and the, what He purposes to do will many, many times not make any sense to us. But that doesn't mean that a mistake has been made. That His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. As high as the heavens, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That's the God we serve. That's the God in whom we trust. That's the God that we give our lives to. And as we talked about last week, in the, as we finished up chapter 8 of Romans and we talked about who can separate us from the love of God? If God is for us, who can be against us? Today we look at 
what Paul writes in Romans chapter 9, and he begins to talk about the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. The sovereignty of God. Now that's not just a... That's not a cop-out. That's not something that we jump on that bandwagon when we can't explain what has happened. We believe that God is beyond anything that you and I can understand. You can read the Word, you can read it from cover to cover, and you can come away with an understanding that God, that God is a God of love, that God is a God of forgiveness, that God is a God of judgment, that God is, that He's a jealous God. You can come away with a lot of ideas of ideas of what God is like. You can read those words in the very beginning of the book that says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then you, you look into a telescope or you look at pictures from the Hubble telescope and you see these, these crowded pictures with what look like stars in them and they turn out to not be stars but galaxies that go beyond anything that you and I can comprehend. Look at it sometime if you haven't. Go on the internet and Google pictures from the Hubble telescope and see some of the unimaginable things that are out there that God has created at the word of His mouth. He spoke the word and it became a reality. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. In Romans chapter 9, Paul is writing and he is trying to help people understand how God works as a sovereign God. He's not trying to, he's not trying to help them to get it all, but he's, he's trying to help them to understand who God is and how He works and that He really doesn't answer to anybody. How arrogant is it that we, <clears throat> the created, would expect that God would answer us? He owes it to us somehow to explain His ways. That is a sheer act of the most unimaginable arrogance. And so Paul wants to help people to understand, and he's trying to show them how the Gentiles, how did the Gentiles get in on all this good stuff? And he begins by talking about the place of the Jewish people but he also uses examples on how God works in people's lives and how He uses them to accomplish His purposes. And His purposes are always to bring Him glory and honor, which He so richly deserves. Paul begins and he says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. 
I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Now he is he's putting himself out there. He's, he's literally talking about him being cut off from Christ for the sake, if, if, it would, if it would do something that would trigger in the hearts and the minds of his, of his fellow brothers and sisters, Israel, to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He so wanted his people, Israel, to know the joy, <clears throat> the joy and the happiness that comes with forgiveness of sins and, and the blessing of knowing their own Messiah, the one who came unto his own and his own received him not. But to as many as did receive him, he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them who believed on his name. So my people, Israel. He says, and he, and he lists all the wonderful things that are theirs. He said, theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs, the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, the temple worship and the promises. All of the promises that God made to Abraham, all the promises that he made all through the Old Testament. You know, the incredible thing about that is. Paul says in Corinthians, he says, all the promises of Abraham are yes and amen in Christ. All the promises of Abraham are yes and amen. Yes, and let it be so in Christ. He said, look what God has done for them. He chose them out of all the nations of the earth. And as a matter of fact, you go back in the Old Testament, God speaks to the Israelites through the prophets, and He said, I didn't pick you because you were the best nation in the world. As a matter of fact, we just finished, in our Wednesday night Bible study, we just finished talking about Joseph and how God worked in the life of Joseph, Joseph and took him through some of the most horrible times so that he would be in a position in Egypt to receive the rest of his brothers and his father and his family so they could come and reside in Egypt and be there. They were going to be there for 430 years because God said, when they come out of that, I'm going to put them in their land. And God did miraculous things to get Joseph into a position where he, the Bible says he was number two. Pharaoh said to him, except for the throne, no one shall be greater than you in the land of Egypt. God did that so that the Israelites would have a place to go during the famine and they would, God's power and his mighty works would go through them to bring them out. All of that God did. He said, I didn't pick it because you were the strongest nation. I picked you because I wanted you. I picked you because you're the one I wanted. 
in my sovereignty. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Folks, Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, the one who died on the cross for us, His human ancestry is traced back to Abraham, who God picked out of the, and took him out of the Ur of the Chaldeans and out of Haran and took him and put him in Canaan and said, you just walk around here, just walk around. Wherever your foot touches, it belongs to you. And I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And out of you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And his seed became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of his only, only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, Jesus. It is not as though God's word had failed. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Abraham had two sons, did he not? He had Ishmael, who was his firstborn, and he had Isaac. One was born of the will of man. Okay? Hagar got anxious. I'm, I'm sorry, Sarah got anxious. And she said, well, how am I? I'm up in years. How am I going to do this? I got an idea. I have it figured out. Folks, if you ever figure out what God's doing, just know it's not His way because His ways are... Go ahead. Oh, you can say it. It won't hurt. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You see? So... Sarah figures, I'm going to help God out. I'm going to do that. God needs my help. And from that union, Ishmael is born. Is Ishmael the child of promise? No. See, the child of promise came when this is how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. That's pretty plain. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Did Sarah have a son? No, Hagar had a son. And God chose to, to bless the world through the son of promise. Not through the child that was born 
They were both born in the biological way. They were both conceived biologically, but one was from a promise and one was someone trying to help God. The child of promise is the one that God used to bring the blessing to the world. The other one was sent away. Now granted, God said He'll become a great nation, He'll become the father of many nations, but God left him over here and was focused on the promised child here. The sovereignty of God. Why did God choose Isaac instead of Ishmael? Because he could. Because that was how he had set it up. The child of promise. At the appointed time I will return and Sarah will have a son. Look at this. Not only that, but Rebekah's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born, or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now you can find that written in Malachi chapter 1. He talks about that. And what he's literally, he's, he's just talking about that as a nation, not as an individual. But why did God, why did God do it that way? Who was the oldest? Esau. Esau was the oldest. Jacob was the youngest. And God said, the older will serve the younger. Why? In my thinking, okay, in my thinking, why not just have Jacob be born first? You see, in my thinking, let's just get Jacob to be born first and then the oldest is in charge just like everyone else. But God says no. The older will serve the younger. His ways are not our ways. What shall we say then? Is God unjust? Not at all. For He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. He is preparing the people that are reading this. Because later on in chapters 10 and 11, we're going we're to hear more about the Gentiles being grafted in to the vine. I, I think about this. How many of you, how many of you were born into uh, Christian homes, homes where your parents were believers? How many of you? Did you raise your hand high. Come on, don't be ashamed of that. It's just, it's just Do you have any clue how much of a blessing that was? Does, I mean, does it ever? 
all you have to do is listen to someone who didn't have that, and you realize what a blessing it was to be born into a home where, you're, where you were led to a point where you could come to Christ. You had nothing to do with that. It was simply mercy and the grace of God. You could have been born in another country where you now believe in superstition or you believe in any number of things, but today you believe in Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. And for those of you who weren't born in a Christian home, you, you should be overwhelmed by the mercy and grace of God because He found a way to bring you to the point where you could respond to the message of the Gospel. It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. His, His grace that gave you the opportunity to respond to the message of the Gospel. He said, I will have compassion on whom I have compassion, and I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. For the Scripture says, listen to this, the Scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom He wants to have mercy and He hardens whom He wants to harden. God wanted to show the Israelite people and He also wanted to show the Egyptian people that He was mightier, that He was greater, that He had the authority, that He was the Sovereign Lord. And every one of those plagues that the Egyptians went through Egyptians went through was a direct attack on one of their gods. And God says, I am the Lord God. I am He that is in charge. Your gods are nothing compared to me. And to Pharaoh He said, I raised you up. I'm going to harden your heart. He let, he let Pharaoh harden his heart. You read the account in the book of Exodus. And the Bible says, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. And God 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 hardened his heart. And then plague number 10 hit. It never had to get to 10. But when God knew that Pharaoh was going to do what he was going to do, he said, I raised you, I raised you up so that I could show my mighty power to you and to your country and to my people. Why? His ways are far above our ways. One of you will say to me, that, then why does God still blame us? Why does God still blame us? For who resists His will? Which of us is powerful enough to resist the will of God? But who are you, O oh man, to talk back to God? Whoa. Who are you to talk back to God? Shall what is formed 
say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? Folks, i got to tell you something. I could really start... I could really stop preaching and go to meddling, but I'm not going to. But i got to tell you something. I want to do this or not. When you mess with what God made and you think that what He made in you is not good enough that you have to begin to alter it, you're telling God, you made me wrong. That is sheer arrogance. That's all I'm going to say. Because I'm going to tell you something. There is an old... There was a little t-shirt one of my kids had. Uh, I don't know, it could have been a hand-me-down from, from Lonnie. I don't know, but I don't remember some of my kids wearing it. And it just said something about God don't make no junk. God doesn't make mistakes. Who are we to talk to God and say, why did you make me like this? I've got to tell you something. <laughs> this, this, this is an encouragement. You and I have been made the way we're made with our personality, with our likes and our dislikes. We have come into the kingdom of God Folks, we have come into the kingdom of God and we are all lugging suitcases. We've all brought baggage into the kingdom. I don't, you can't see them, but they're there. I'm carrying them. I'm, I'm pulling them behind. We all came into the kingdom of God with baggage. And God called us and He called the baggage with us. And He said, I'll lighten the baggage as we go along, but I've called you here because I have a purpose for you. You fit into My kingdom just the way you are. And what I don't want, I'll change in My own good time. Praise His name that He brought you in the way you were. Amen? Folks, that's... Jump up hallelujah stuff right there. I'm not asking you to do it. I'm just telling you that's exciting stuff. He brought us into the kingdom for this purpose right now. To accomplish His work for Him. He loves us that much. His mercy and His grace are upon us. And His Spirit is within us to accomplish that work. How dare we say, why did you make me like this? I made you like this because I needed you like this. I wanted you like this so that you could function and do exactly what... See, what happens is we start to function outside the will of God and then the way we're made doesn't fit. Are you hearing me? When you start to function outside the will of God with the way He made you, it doesn't work. You have to get back into a right relationship with God and begin to function inside the kingdom at your place and at your purpose for what, you, for what He called you to do. And then who you are will work perfectly. He's a sovereign God. He did it all. Praise the Lord.
We're not accidents. We're not mistakes. Does the potter, does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? Yes. He can take a lump of clay and form a pitcher that is going to carry water for people to drink. And then he can form a bowl out of the rest of it and make it into something that is going to carry garbage outside to the, to the village dump. Same lump of clay, something made for a different purpose from the same lump of clay. What if God, choosing to show his wrath, makes his power known and make his power known bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction. Ephesians chapter 2 says this, all of us who also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. We were all objects of wrath at one point in time, okay? Now, God bore with great patience the objects of wrath. He goes on. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us whom he also called not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles? Ephesians 2, 4, and 6, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. God uses, God helps those who are under his wrath to see what he's doing with those that he has, is having mercy on in hopes that they will come into his fold and receive his mercy also. I do not believe, nor do I believe the Bible ever teaches, that God created some people simply for the fact he wants to send them to hell. I don't believe that at all. I believe God's wish is that every man, woman, and child would repent and come to know him as their Lord and Savior. Now, in God's, in God's sovereignty, he understands, and again, this is hard for us to comprehend, but he understands and knows what people are going to do because he, under, he knows everything. He's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's sovereign. He knows what's going to happen. But that doesn't mean that, that somebody can say, well, I guess I was created to, be, you know, to go to destruction. No, you weren't. No, you were not. You were created to know the purpose and the plan and the will of God for your life. The fact that you constantly reject Him results in you ending up where you do not want to go. Now he just gives some examples from the Old Testament um, about the Gentiles and, and the Jewish people. And he says, as it says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. And I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And I will, it will happen that in the very place 
where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called the sons of the living God. He's speaking about the Gentiles. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of Israelites be like the sand of the sea, only the remnant will be saved, for the Lord will carry out his sentence on earth with speed and finality. And it is just as Isaiah said previously, unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom, we would have become like Gomorrah. God judged Israel severely in so many, in so many times in so many ways, but each time he did it, there was a remnant. Even when Elijah was uh, up in the mountain and, and God, he thought that he was the only one, oh God, I'm the only one left and they're all against me. And he just said, no. There's, there's still 7,000 people here that have not bowed the knee to Baal. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Listen, folks, I want to tell you something. In the church today, there, there, there are people... There are people all over the world in churches today that think that they are a part of the kingdom of God because they have a, they have a title. And I'm not going to name denominations, but they believe that they belong to the kingdom of God simply because they're a part of this church. You ask them, are you a Christian? They'll go, oh, I'm, uh, well, yeah, I'm this. And they name the denomination or they name a church. Uh, are, you, are you a believer? Oh, well, I was brought up this way. See, the Jewish people were doing the same thing. Are you a child of God? Well, I'm a Jew. I'm a child of Abraham. I follow the law. Of course. Are you, are you, are you part of God's family? I'm, I'm Jewish. It was, it, was, it was salvation by works. Paul said it in, in Philippians chapter 2. He said, if anybody, if anybody had the right to get secure in their works, it was me. Because I was born of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Pharisee. I was zealous for the law and for good works. Like no one else around me, I was far exceeding all of my peers. And see, now, I count all of that as rubbish. The King James uses the word dung. <laughs> manure, if you will. So I count that all as manure compared to the pricelessness of knowing Jesus as my Lord and Savior. He says, why not? Why, why, are the, why are the Jews having a problem? Why are they not understanding this? He's because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were, it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, see I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall and the one who puts his trust in him will never be put to shame. Here's the problem. Jesus 
You see, you just you look at the face, the face value of Jesus. He was a great man, but he died. They killed him. And we still have Christians today who want to debate who killed Jesus. Read the word. God killed Jesus. God had him go to the cross. God sent him there. Jesus came to him three times and said, Father, is there any other way we can do this? And and God said, no. And Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. And he went to the cross. He said, I lay my life down. Nobody takes it from me. I have the right to pick it up again. No one takes my life from me. And and you read Isaiah chapter 53 and you go on through there and it says, and it pleased the Lord to bruise him. This was God's idea for you and me. Sovereign Lord, isn't there a different way that you can provide salvation for these people, these rebellious people? Isn't there another way? God says, no, my ways." are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. The only way I'm going to accomplish salvation for you is to kill my son. And people are stumbling over the idea of the cross. Paul says, the cross is an offense to those who are perishing. But to us, man, I will cherish the old rugged cross. The old rugged cross is my salvation. It is what I hang on to. When I stand before God one day and He says to me, why should I let you into my heaven? And I'm going to look at Him and say, just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. That's what I'm going to say. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and who puts his trust in him will never be put to shame. Thank you, Sovereign Lord. Your ways are so far above our ways. Heavenly Father, help us to trust you. where we have allowed our thoughts and our ideas to enter into the work of your kingdom. Forgive us. It's your kingdom. It's your work. And you want us to be involved in it, but you want us to be involved in it your way. And we thank you, Lord that your ways are better than ours. Help us to trust you. Help us to rely on you. Help us to just call upon your name. To seek your face. To seek your way. Because if we do it your way, if we seek your way, if we have your thoughts, they're so much better than ours. 
Lord, forgive us. For when we have thought that you have made a mistake, that you somehow have made an error, we get angry with you. Why did you do this? Forgive us for our arrogance, Lord. And help us to humble ourselves before your mighty hand so that you can raise us up. Lord, today we just want to, as, as we prepare to go, we, we just want to thank you that you have so graciously allowed this little church, this group of people to become involved in your kingdom work. We thank you for the prison ministry. We thank you for the transitional center, the work there. Thank you for allowing us to be involved in that, both in personnel and in our resources. Thank you for allowing us to become involved with Love Serves in the Dominican Republic and for the, the, the work that's being done down there and the thousands of people who are coming to Christ through that ministry. We just thank you for your grace in allowing us to, be, to share in that. We thank you for our missionaries, for Todd and Shelley in the Middle East and for Chris in Thailand. And Lord, we know that your word is going forth there. And, and Lord, we know that there are people who are responding because they see the truth of who the resurrected Jesus is. And Lord, we thank you for, our, for the daycare and for the work, that, the lives that are being touched every day. Take us from this place today, Lord, full of trust in you because we realize that you are sovereign. Let that sovereignty, as much as it is able, as much of it as we are able to contain in these human bodies, Father, help us to just understand that and trust in you. People will see that there is something that we're hanging on to, something that has its grip on us, something that we are trusting in more than just fate. We have the God of the universe on our side. And if God is for us, who can be against us? In Jesus' name. Amen.